Hello, and welcome to Fire of Genius, a podcast dedicated to all things intellectual property, presented by the Indiana University Maurer School of Law's IP Theory Journal. My name is Jacob Bosch, and my background is in civil engineering. My primary interest is in patent law, focusing in the mechanical arts. Joining me today in this discussion are Karen and Sydney. Would you all like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Karen, and my background is in biomedical engineering. I am also interested in patent law, specifically the biotech area. And I'm Sydney. I have a background in pathobiology. I am also interested in the biotech and pharmaceutical area of intellectual property. All right, great. So today we'll be talking about one of the bigger issues in modern U.S. patent law, and that is the case American Axle versus Neepco. But before we get to that, we're going to set some groundwork of how we got to this point. So Alice Corp versus CLS Bank International was a 2014 Supreme Court case that changed the landscape for patent eligibility. A fundamental underlying premise of patent law is that you cannot patent facts of nature. Much of the patent eligible subject matter is built from nature, but you cannot patent those underlying building blocks themselves. The invention in the Alice case was a computerized transaction intermediary and the Supreme Court took up the case and determined it was not patent eligible and set forth the test that became known as the Alice-Mayo test. It states that a patent is ineligible for protection if the patent is directed at an abstract idea, law of nature, or natural phenomenon, and the claim fails to recite additional elements that transform the invention into something patent eligible. This case has introduced a lot of issues and confusion into the patent system in the nearly 10 years since its decision. Certain inventions, such as those in medical diagnostics or business concepts, have suffered greatly, making it very difficult for them to obtain patent eligibility. So I want to take a second to stop and address that. So Sydney and Karen, your backgrounds are in the bio field. I want your specific input. With these cases from the Federal Circuit, there's been a distinction between analyzing human biology and human samples for diagnostic purposes versus analyzing them for disease treatment. How do you two feel about that distinction? I feel that it's very difficult, especially for companies that focus in diagnostics because it's much more difficult for them to get a patent. And I don't know that that is is fair or or right, whereas in the, if they can change the patent to make it uh, to analyze for a disease treatment, it's a little bit easier um, de- depending on the technology. And I, I do feel that the diagnostics groups get a little bit hurt and maybe have less of that patent incentive if we want, want to go there. Um, but I, I guess that's my feelings. Yeah, and I agree with Sydney. Um, I think the application of Alice leading to almost a per se exclusion of diagnostics, whereas medical treatments are acceptable, is just not fair. I think all other technology is important to look at the unique features or characteristics when determining if it's patentable. And so maybe a way to address this is having a specific test that's more catered toward the biotech field, addressing these distinctions and having a specific test for abstract ideas and et cetera. Or maybe Congress needs to rewrite laws that address the subject matter eligibility in a more coherent and clearer way. Um, I think as technology is rapidly becoming more advanced, our laws and our approach to evaluating these technologies should adapt to these advancements. And I think that also goes to like the judiciary and how they might not quite understand the technology and, and maybe there needs to be something to help people that are not in the science industry or research area of biotech 
to better understand what these are so that the rulings are more um, even throughout. Right. And we'll definitely get to solutions a little bit down the road. But this the diagnostics versus treatment area is a very interesting one because the underlying methodology that they're claiming seems to be very similar across it, yet because of the purposes, there is a disparity in eligibility decisions. Uh, so we move on from there. Uh, we have the Alice Mayo test, which has been around for about 10 years ago. And we're moving now to the current case, which is American Axle versus NEEPCO. Uh, so why does this matter? Well, American Axle is a case that surrounds the methodology for tuning vehicles to reduce a drive shaft vibration. The following claim in dispute is as follows, uh, which is claim 22. Quote, a method for manufacturing a shaft assembly of a driveline system the driveline system further, including a first driveline component and a second driveline component, the shaft assembly being adapted to transmit torque between the first driveline component and the second driveline component, the method comprising of providing a hollow shaft member, tuning a mass and a stiffness of at least one liner, and inserting the at least one liner into the shaft member, wherein the at least one liner is tuned resistive absorber for attenuating shell mode vibrations and wherein the at least one liner is tuned reactive absorber for attenuating bending mode vibrations. All this going to say is that it's just a method for making sure that the drive shaft does not vibrate in use and instructing the engineers to take all this into consideration. So the district court and federal circuit ended up holding that this was just an application of Hooke's law, which is a law of physics, and found it to be ineligible. This summer, summer of 2022, there was a lot of hope that in the patent professional community that the Supreme Court would take up the case and clarify this major issue of patent eligibility. However, they ended up just denying cert. And now we're kind of just left in the same issue we've had for quite a while now with no clear guidance. So now with all that groundwork out of the way, let's get into our main discussion. What do you all think of the current state of patent eligibility and does it need a solution? So I guess I guess to start, this kind of talks about my issue with judges and juries not really understanding the technology. Because on first glance, I don't understand what that technology is, not having an engineering background. So how can I expect a judge to have an understanding of what that is, enough to make a a decision that is applicable to the law. Yeah, and I agree with that, but I think we also need to keep in mind that the disclosure is supposed to explain it for a person ordinary skill in the art, which I know isn't the same person as a layman, but I think maybe we should somehow cater that towards it as well. But I do think that we definitely need fixing. (laughs) (laughs) So Sydney brought up the interesting point of just having the ordinary person with the skill, Karen, has touched on this as well, the person that has the expertise to understand these claims, do we think this should be something where the whatever solution comes up with gives more latitude to the patent office to decide what is eligible or not, or should this stay in the realm of the judiciary? That's hard. Oh, I think the patent office should have more deference. <laughs> uh, I think what we could do is because the examiners at the USPTO are supposed to have a background in the art unit that they are examining patents. So I think what we could do approach is have the USPTO have issued some guidelines. Yeah, I know it's not law, but maybe the courts can have more deference to the USPTO. I think I like that idea because 
even with expert witnesses, both sides can get their own expert witness. So it's kind of who they feel is more credible, the jury or the judge. And I think having the patent office do it might give more solidity in those cases. Right. And so we had touched on this other issue a bit in our diagnostics conversation, but do we think eligibility going forward should be a universal concept that is applied equally to all subject matter, or should it be tailor-made to different subject matters so they get equivalent treatment? I think definitely tailored to subject matter. I, I just can't imagine. Technologies are so different and advancing at different paces, and some technologies are becoming expired and not really relevant anymore. And just to have one universal law just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And if it is universal, I think there needs to be different guidelines that are tailored based on the different subject matters. So it might have like a universal law, but then like kind of sub-branded down into yeah. different categories. And those those are tailored on the analysis based on those overarching idea of eligibility or law of eligibility. Right. And as far as solutions go, the current, since the Supreme Court denied cert on this case, the current best option we have right now, Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina proposed a new Patent Eligibility Restoration Act in August. And if that goes through, it'll clarify that anyone who invents or discovers any useful process, machine, manufacturer, or composition of matter, or any useful improvement can obtain a patent subject only to the exclusions outlined within that said bill. So the exclusions include, of course, mathematical formulas, mental processes performed solely in the human mind, processes occurring in nature wholly independent of and prior to any human activity, and unmodified genes as they exist in the human body. So if that were to go through, that could hopefully provide a solution to the current predicament we find ourselves in. Another interesting part of dicta from the American Axel case is the Federal Circuit commented on the possible solutions that would have allowed it to survive the eligibility uh, review. And one of that was to add more detail to the claim, such as using finite element analysis to determine how to tune the axle. And for those who you are unaware with that technology, it's a computer simulation that analyzes materials and how they respond to certain stresses. So it's interesting that the court mentions this as it almost goes into the field of disclosure and trends away a bit from the overall eligibility discussion. So what are your guys' thoughts on this solution of just greater detail in the claims and the specs? It kind of reminds me of, I forgot the case that we read, where the treatment was found allowable because it was more tailored, whereas the diagnostic case was more of you're just giving instructions to the doctor on how to do this test. So I think it's interesting how the Federal Circuit kind of commented on that. I don't think I necessarily agree with it. It's more, like you said, Jacob, it's more focused on the detail, not the subject matter itself. Yeah, and just for clarification, those cases were Ariosa Diagnostics, Inc. versus Sequinom, Inc. and Vanda Farms, Inc. versus Westward Farms, Inc. So, yeah, definitely the area of disclosure could be a solution, but it's kind of sort of hard to tell. But, yeah, how do we feel about this idea of just detail makes things transformative? It kind of seems to go against... Alice, in a way, that, that underlying rationale in Alice that we, we want something to be transformative of the laws of nature or these underlying facts, does adding more detail suddenly make it transformative in that way for that step two of that test? I, I personally don't think it, it does make it more eligible because it's just more detail about what 
the item is. It's not making a big difference on the item. I mean, it's still the same product. I guess, how would that work with a fringer? So if you're so specific in one area and I go a different path with the same underlying, would that be acceptable? I, I just don't think it's the best approach. Yeah, definitely there could be some trade-offs with that sort of approach and the overall incentives to patent and trying to protect your underlying intellectual property. So we definitely have a long way to go from here, and hopefully we'll get some clarity potentially either through this proposed bill from Senator Tillis or maybe potentially a future court case down the road uh, with some clarification, some guidelines from the Supreme Court. But Can I just add something really fast mm-hmm. on the, the act that was proposed, the Restoration Act of 2022. As a bio background, I actually feel like I I like this act because I think it makes it more open for the bio and pharmaceutical patents because um, one condition for an exception of the unmodified human genes was for the purposes of the human gene or natural material that is isolated, purified, enriched, or otherwise altered by human activity or that is otherwise employed in a useful invention or discovery shall not be considered to be unmodified. And I think that that kind of broadens up the areas of what can be patented for the biotech sector. Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely biotech patents can be some of the more challenging ones to understand if you know someone has a more generalist background. So having that extra guideline from the legislation, hopefully that will be reflected in USPTO practices in the future, would be a, a great addition. But for now, that's all we have for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fire of Genius. You can follow us on Twitter at C-I-P-R-M-A-U-R-I-P-T-H or reach out to us on our website at iptheory.indiana.edu. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week.